Hello, and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host, Natasha Kanova, and I had JP Morgan Global Commodities Research. Today, we would like to discuss global oil and gas markets. I'm joined by Shika Chaturvedi, our head of JP Morgan Global Gas Research. Shika, thank you for joining me today. Great, thank you. Uh, Shika, this week was a very busy week for you. Um, Australia's labor regulator has given the green light to workers' union to vote on whether to stage a strike uh, at the Australian LNG plants that account for about 10% of global gas supply. European gas price surged more than 40%. It's right now trading at about just slightly under 40 uh, euros per uh, megawatt hour, and U.S. Henry Hub price touched $3 on the news, up almost 10%. Surprisingly, the benchmark Japan-Korea marker LNG price didn't move much. So your view is that if the strikes proceed, which is still a developing situation, up to 4.5 BCM of LNG exports could be impacted. Could you walk us through your thinking, please? Yes. So essentially, um, there are three facilities right now that are in question. So this is for for LNG supply. Um, in Australia. And the first one that's actually uh, kind of progressed forward with, you know, the potential for a strike is the Woodside facility called Northwest Shelf. Um, And it is has a capacity of 1.92 BCM. Uh, The other two facilities are Gorgon and Wheatstone, which uh, respectively have a capacity of 1.88 and 1.14 BCM. So altogether, the capacity is 4.9 BCM and the supply that we've seen from the, that capacity is 4.5 BCM. And so that's how we got to this maximum sort of outage. Um, it, it's clearly uncertain right now whether we will see any or all of these facilities go down in any way. And the timing of that is sort of unknown. But just to kind of put this in some sort of uh perspective for our clients. What is four and a half BCM? Well, actually it's four and a half BCM per month of LNG supply at maximum that could be reduced. And as you mentioned, that is 10% of the global LNG supply in the market already. And another way to kind of put it is if we look at the Freeport LNG outage last year, this outage at its maximum could potentially be three times larger than the Freeport outage. So it is actually very meaningful if it happens and if it happens in a sustained way. Um, The question around if it happens is very much something that we're gonna have to watch over the next few weeks as negotiations kind of bear out. But the other question that if it does happen, how long will it happen for is something that's also very uncertain. What we know is that the market is looking back at last year when Australia had another similar situation at a smaller facility called Prelude. That facility was offline for 76 days. And so I think that the market is is basically trying to assess whether or not this has the potential to stay uh, to impact the global LNG markets for a significant time period and what that could actually mean for prices going forward. Thank you, Shika. So if we look at the price reaction, yes, the global price reaction of the market. So the TTF price was up, the European price, 40%, US price, 10%, global LNG market flat, largely flat. So you walked us through the perspective, you know, you put into perspective this 4.5 BCM number for us, but why the TTF price rallied as much compared to everything else? Is the impact the biggest for the European gas market? 
So actually, I don't think that uh, the impact is very great in the near term for the European gas market because of the fact that the European gas market now is very healthy in storage levels. Uh, so in the near term, I don't think that there's actually a potential impact. In fact, um, we have been assuming that Europe has had to reduce their LNG imports, which they have of late through price done through the JKM TTF spread. Um, and that reduction was necessary in order to avoid storage congestion. And in order to do that, um, it was literally about one point um, or about one BCM per month uh, of a reduction that Europe need or Northwest Europe needed to make specifically in order to kind of avoid storage congestion. So that's added some additional slack into the market. I think that the rally in the TTF market relative to JKM, which you pointed out didn't move as much, has a lot to do with the depth and the positioning of the market. Uh, the, the positioning was overwhelmingly short with this idea that we were headed towards storage congestion. And so when in fact the sort of supply related disruption did emerge, it did definitely spook the markets. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we saw a lot of short covering occur that pushed pricing above that 40 euro per megawatt hour range. But Perversely, if you're sitting above that 40 euro per megawatt hour range, you're actually in essentially signaling to power generators in Europe to switch over to coal uh, for, for power generation. And so then you can have this added loss of gas fired power generation and gas demand, which could account for something like, uh, I think we have somewhere around 300 MCM uh, per month if we stayed in a sustained way above 40 euros per megawatt hour. And so that would create a little bit more slack. So ironically, in the near term, this is not really a problem for the European market. Where the problem begins for the European market is the longevity if the strike actually occurs. Right. If it gets bigger than a month or two months, it will actually uh, start to matter in those cargoes that are expected to come in during the winter period. Mm -hmm. And Shika, in your report, you suggested there are some slacks or some spare capacities in the global gas supply that could potentially mitigate some of the impact of the potential strikes. Uh, what are those? Yes. So there's a couple of things that we, we looked at just to kind of see what facilities around the world are maybe probably functioning at a lower utilization rate right now than we had seen maybe in the first half of 23. And we found that there were a couple um, and looking at to whether those were structural problems, maybe essentially a facility that had gone offline, or if this was normal maintenance. And we made that determination. And what we found is that there were a few countries like Oman, the US, and Egypt, and even Russia, uh, that were actually uh, lower in their utilization levels right now than what we've seen them capable of doing. Um, Oman and the US definitely have this potential of ramping up for sure. Um, and we look at it's about 200 million cubic meters per month um, in Oman that we can increase and about 500 million cubic meters a month uh, for the U.S. But for Egypt, we know that they were structurally lower in sending out their LNG uh, exports right now because they were saving that gas for their domestic demand with the heat that they were having. But they did say that they would start to resume their LNG exports in fall. So accounting for them also, they're close to 500 million cubic meters a month. So altogether, those three countries are 1.3 BCM per month. And if we look at Russia, and I know a lot of people count out Russia, but I think this is a very opportunistic time for them to come in and start to increase their LNG exports if needed. Um, 
they're running in July, they were running at a lower utilization rate uh, relative to what they were doing in uh, the first half of the year. And they could be as much as 800 million cubic meters a day, uh, million cubic meters per month, excuse me, of extra supply that can come onto the market. So between the three of these uh, or four of these sort of uh, places, you could actually get another, call it 2.1 uh, BCM per month of that sort of additional supply that's out there and marrying that with sort of the European uh, sort of slack that we were just talking about, it can get up to close to three and a half BCM uh, per month of extra slack. So when we marry that up against the four and a half deficit maximum that's out there, uh, you still see this one BCM of deficit that's there. So that's the real, I think, risk right now that the market needs to contemplate at this point. Mm -hmm. So um, ultimately, Natasha, I'm going to turn to you because what's very interesting is that the minute that this occurred, as you pointed out, Henry Hub prices also rallied uh, very significantly because the U.S. could definitely step in uh, with further U.S. LNG exports tightening up our market. So in mid-July, uh, the J.P. Morgan Commodities team, our team, recommended to raise allocation to commodities. Since then, commodities have rallied, but the move was driven by energy, while base metals moved sideways. Um, so we see a potential for Henry Hub to reach 330 per MMBTU, but that really is predicated on the idea that not only do these strikes happen forcing US LNG exports to increase, uh, but we see also a turn in production and you know, heat kind of resonates and stays around like we're seeing for August into the September time period. Uh, what is your view on oil from here now that Brent's at $87? Uh, yes, Shika, thank you. Uh, you're absolutely correct. So uh, Brent uh, oil price was trading at about 72 at, uh, in early July. Right now we're trading at 87. Uh, there is definitely you no know, macro moves taking place. You know, you're absolutely correct. The commodities uh, prices have rallied. Uh, a lot of that was catalyzed by the drop in the June U.S. CPI inflation and the resulting shift in markets perception of the near term recession risk. That's exactly when we put the FOMO note and says that it's time now to raise tactical allocations to underloved commodities. But there are a lot of good fundamental uh, reasons why why oil should be trading at, 80, at 87. So demand is very, very strong. We have been pointing since the beginning of the year and actually since November of last year that demand is not going to be an issue this year. So clearly, you know, this is visible right now, but there are multiple rounds of OPEX production reduction sign that Russia is making good on its pledge to curb exports, all of that have began to pay off. And this is visible. This is visible in the key uh, market indicators. Uh, all of them are pointing to tightening physical markets. So how far can we go from here? We believe prices will continue to climb from here towards $90 or even above. You know, there is definitely enough interest that we can break that level. Uh, we believe that this will happen by September. Uh, I personally believe that the price is a little bit overheated at the moment. A lot of that has to do with uh, with the Black Sea uh, drone attacks and, you know, just in general, the risks around uh, Russian oil in the Black Sea. Uh, but overall, we do believe that uh, 90 is definitely reachable. But as the market transitions from the third quarter inventory draw into a slight surplus into the fourth quarter and in 2024, we do believe that the prices should ease back. So not much. So our price forecast is, you know, mid uh, mid 80s towards the end of the year. That's our exit price and uh, low 80s to mid 80s for 2024. 
And is your call, is it mostly a supplier demand driven view? Um, so um, there's six main assumptions behind our view. Um, so number one on the demand, and you know, again, demand has done really, really well. And we believe that it will grow 1.3 million barrels per day, quarter over quarter in the third quarter. Again, this is averages for the quarter. So we had a record demand number in, in June. Um, but we do believe that in the fourth quarter, demand will decline by about 0.5 million barrels per day, again, quarter over quarter. So there is a lot of seasonality taking place. Um, so full, full growth for the year, it's still 1.7. We have not changed our view. Uh, Australian LNG strikes, as you absolutely described uh, before, can raise, raise the risk of another 100 to 300 KBD higher oil demand. Uh, starting in September, but in general, we do see the demand stepping uh, stepping down quarter over quarter in the fourth quarter. Just you know, just pure seasonality. Uh, that's number one. The rest, everything is on the supply side. Uh, so, you know, our view on the Russian oil supply is that uh, it is slowing in July and August, but we believe that exports and production are likely to recover in September. So accordingly, we estimate August to be the lowest point of Russian crude and condensate production at 10.5 million barrels per day, with production rebounding to 10.6 in September and then 10.7 in the fourth quarter of 2023. Um, so with our forecast calling for oil price to reach $90 by September, we believe that Saudi Arabia will bring back half of this extra 1 million barrels per day voluntary cut uh, in October. Um, so we do believe that uh, the record supply will come out of uh, outside of the OPEC plus alliance, particularly from the Americas. In the case of United States, we'll have a second consecutive record year. Uh, we're talking about crude condensate and liquids production. Uh, Iran is we're watching very closely. Uh, Iran oil production, we believe, will be exiting the year at about 3.1 million barrels per day. That's up almost 500 KBD from year ago levels. But given the news we received yesterday of the U.S.-Iran prisoner exchange and the release of Iranian oil revenue held in South Korea, we believe that the risk is of substantially higher production. Uh, so Iranian news released uh, on Wednesday their assessments that they can reach 3.5 million barrels per day by late of this year. And then Venezuela. So at the moment, Venezuela is producing about 810 KBD in July. We believe 850 by the end of the year. They were at 650 in 2000 in 2022. But Venezuela is eyeing one million barrel per day target, uh, which in our view is quite manageable. Uh, Shika, thank you so much for joining us today. So a lot of news and a lot of things happening in the energy markets. Uh, more to go, we believe. So another leg higher in the prices. Uh, so thank you all to joining us today. Thank you all to listening to the Commodities Edition at JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. We look forward to continue the conversation after the Labor Day. Uh, have a great end to the summer. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on August 11th, 2023.